praying when you walk in the room so you love the hearts of your people listening to what you have to say. Lord, I pray that you would bless and anoint the words that are spoken from your word today. And that anything that I say that is not of you, Lord, that you would just deafen our ears. But what is from you, Lord, amplify it. That it may be heard, that it may be inwardly pondered, that it may be lived out in transformation. Thank you, Father, for your living word. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and make it alive. In Jesus' holy name, amen. You may be seated. Let me just uh, step down from the heavenlies for a second here back to earth. But no, let's stay there. Yeah, let's stay there. And in fact, part two of the sermon series today, uh, tell how to talk to other people about Jesus. The part two today is actually called under an open heaven. And uh, some people mean one thing by that and some people mean another. But I'm going to give you what I think the Bible, uh, the idea where it comes from. But I want to ask you a question to think about. And it is what is the ultimate aim of evangelism? What is the ultimate aim of telling other people about Jesus? Is it to get their butts in a pew in church? Is it to get them to say a sinner's prayer? Is it to impart information that is true? Well, maybe those things have their place, but I want to argue today that the ultimate aim of evangelism is bringing someone into an encounter with the living God so that they can live their lives from that point on in his presence by confessing Jesus is Lord. That's what God is after. He's after people encountering him through you and me, through our words, through our actions and through our witness. So so many of us think that evangelism is all about what I say and how I say it. But it might actually be more about who I am and who is in me and who is able to bring somebody into an encounter with himself when I'm completely yielded to him. So I want to talk about what it means for us, because I think the Bible tells us that we live in the presence of God as the people of Christ, that we don't uh, dip in, in and out when we have our morning devotions, but that we're actually living in his presence. But it's on us to become more aware of that, what I call walking under an open heaven. And I'm going to say where I got that idea from as we look at Luke chapter three this morning, when Jesus uh, did evangelism. He taught people, of course, but the first thing he did was it says he called them to himself. When he called his disciples, he called them to himself. So Jesus always prioritized people being with him in his presence. And then that is the place where you learn. And that is where all discipleship begins is in his presence. So I want us to think about evangelism from a little bit of a different point of view is that what I'm after when I'm sharing the gospel with someone is actually for them to encounter the presence of God. Let's look at Luke chapter 3, and we, uh, again, I feel like we had this passage, like, I don't know, five or six weeks ago. I don't know why it comes up again in the lectionary, but it's a good one, so let's talk about it for a minute. Jesus um, goes to John, and as we know from one of the other gospel accounts, uh, John tries to talk him down. He says, no, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, you need to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. So what did he mean by that? Because John was telling people God's wrath is against your sin and you need to repent and be baptized. And they rightly had the fear of God and were getting baptized and repenting in droves. But he was preparing them for the Messiah. The only person who ever walked the earth that didn't need a baptism of repentance gets in the water and says, baptize me. 
not because he needed to repent or because he had sin in his life, but because he was identifying with us and putting ourselves in his place. So at the ver- putting himself in our place, rather. So from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, he puts himself in our place. It's actually a visible representation of his willingness to identify himself with us and to actually substitute himself for us. And we know where that is all going to come to a culmination on the cross. Isn't that amazing that Jesus gets in the water and says, I need to be baptized. But something happens. There's so much rich meaning in this passage that's trying to tell us a lot. It's trying to tell us a lot because something really profound happens in Jesus's baptism that is meant to uh, wake us up to the reality of who we are, who belong to him and are in him. So here's what it says. Uh, I'm looking down now at verse uh, 21 in 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Okay, so John the Baptist was essentially telling people who were lost in their sin, God's voice over you right now is I am not pleased. (laughs) You need to make things right. Turn from your sin and get right. And that was the baptism of repentance. But over Jesus, the Father says something else. In you, you're my beloved. In you, I am pleased. Here's one of the most important reasons, one of the biggest reasons why that's important, is because when somebody identifies with Jesus and says, I want to call on him as Savior and Lord, no longer is the Father's voice over you, hey, I'm not pleased with your sin, I'm grieved with your sin, and my anger is against your sin. His voice becomes over you the same as it was over Jesus. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. By simply identifying with Jesus in his death and resurrection and confessing him as Lord. That's the mystery of salvation. All encapsulated right here. But Jesus' baptism is also a kind of model, I think, for Christians and for the Christian life because so much is happening. The language here is actually one of a coronation service in the ancient world because the king would say to his son who is taking the throne, you're my beloved son. So God is, in essence, declaring Jesus, spiritually anyway, to be on the throne. You're my beloved son. So this is like a coronation service. And Jesus is declared king and loved by the Father in heaven. But it says a few things that I want us to look at. One, it says that he was praying. He was openly communicating with the Father. You see, if you want to have an encounter with heaven, with the true and living God, you have to learn how to have open communication with the Father. You have to have a prayer life of communication with him, and it goes the same for telling other people about Jesus. You know, I missed an opportunity the other day. It's so funny how the Lord will show me that, um, like after the fact, and then it come and then it ties into the sermon. But I uh, was having a conversation with a guy at a coffee shop who was asking me about tattoos. He was getting ready to get his wife's name tattooed. Great guy was chatting with him and talking about that. He went back and sat down, and I felt like the Lord said to go and talk to him and just say, "Hey, I wanted to invite you to my church. I'm a pastor, and would love to see you there. Would love to see how the tattoo turned out or whatever." And I talked to him, had a really good conversation, invited him to church. But then I left, and later that day I thought, man, I missed such a great opportunity. That guy would have totally been open to being prayed for. And I'm telling you that when you pray for people, you see, because heaven is open over because the Holy Spirit is on you and in you if you have put your faith in Jesus. And when you pray for people, 
in evangelism, you are bringing them that into an encounter with the father's heart. You're in essence like you're like saying here, let me open the door of heaven for a minute and ask the father to come and visit you so that you can sense his presence and his desire to know you and to forgive you of your sin. And that brings them into a living encounter. So you're not just imparting information and saying, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Have a nice day. Would like you to come to church. You're actually opening up a door for a sense for the Lord to be able to work in their hearts. And I'm telling you. When I pray for people in evangelism, I cannot tell you how many times what I see most is tears. People who don't even have a personal relationship with him. Tears. Or the other thing is peace that they can't explain that comes over them. They're getting, the Lord is just wetting their appetite with his presence so that they can come into a saving relationship with him through, the, through his son. So, so always, always look for an opportunity to pray. Okay, I know that's kind of a bit of a ways from the text it says jesus was praying but i think it fits into the idea of evangelism jesus was always in communication with the father and so when people encountered him they were encountering the father working through him by the power of the spirit the second thing that it says is that heaven was opened here we go heaven was opened that this idea is actually in the Old Testament. Some of you know this. Isaiah says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. I think it's Isaiah 64, something like that. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And the idea of the heavens being rent or split open in the Bible is about, it means that divine revelation is about to happen. That something very profound, of profound importance that God is going to visit and re- reveal something important. So the heavens are opened above Jesus, and what is revealed is his identity as the beloved Son of God, the divine Son of God who is pleasing in his Father's sight. Now, friend, I'm telling you, this uh, being baptized and being filled with and anointed by the Holy Spirit, first of all, it makes God say, you're my beloved, and with you I am well pleased, not because of what you've done, but because of the person that you've identified with, my son. But the other thing that it does is it is an empowerment to live now in a different kind of a realm. In a sense, it means that heaven opens up over you and it doesn't close. Okay, now we pray all the time, oh, we want an open heaven, Lord, we, we, we're, we're crazy Pentecostal Episcopalians, like, Lord, rend the heavens over our church, and we want an open heaven, but the thing is, is heaven is already open you over you, because the Holy Spirit is in you, if he is indeed in you, and is in, indeed filling you. So when you walk out into the world, you're not, or walk out of the church, you're not leaving heaven and going back to earth, you're taking heaven with you. But you see, we ha- what we need is for our eyes to be open to this reality because it's real. It's just that we don't perceive it most of the time. I was reading again in Ephesians this morning and being reminded, man, Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, like he's like describing salvation in these amazing cosmic terms. He's like, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ. He's given you access to everything in Jesus Christ. And then he says in chapter 2, you were dead in your sins and you deserved God's wrath. But in his great love, in his mercy, he raised you up and seated you with Christ in the heavenly realms. He seated you with Christ in the heavenly realm. You're seated with him. That's really the true you and where you are and where you're established is that you're seated with him. But we don't often are not often mindful of that in our everyday lives. So what do we do to become aware of that? I will get to that. But when you share Jesus, 
with somebody in the power of the Spirit, there's, there's heaven is resting on that situation in enabling you, giving you words, and also enabling that person by God's grace, even though they may not even have confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord yet, to encounter his presence and to be drawn in. Now, some people you will talk to, heaven will be open and they'll be as hard-hearted as can be towards it. They won't sense it. They won't care about it. They won't feel it. And that's because they have made a determined decision that God will not run their lives. They will. Thank you very much. But many people, I find that most people are at least somewhat open to God. And they're at least open to you telling your story about how you came to know Jesus. And they're usually open to you praying for them and inviting them into the presence of the Lord. I mean, it's, it's, it's profound what can happen when you say, can I pray for you? And they say, yeah, sure. Can I put a hand on your shoulder? Yeah, sure. And you pray and you say, Holy Spirit, Spirit of Jesus, will you just come and just, just, just touch Joe right now? And you just pray over them, whatever the, word, the Lord gives you to pray. And I'm telling you, you will know that heaven is open over you. Something happens. Something shifts when we talk to the Father, when we invite him into the situation and into the person's life. And then, of course, you don't ever leave without telling them that they can actually live their life in his presence, but that the problem is is not something that they need to achieve by cleaning up their life. It's just that they need to confess that they're sinners and they need a Savior and they want Jesus to forgive them and to come and live in them. (laughs) Oh, it's so much better than self-help spirituality. It's so much better. It's so easy, folks. It's so easy. All we have to do is present it to people and invite them to step in into it and we make it too complicated in our heads and think that we need to have all the right things to say and and, and all of that. Now, last week we talked about our responsibility to gain in wisdom and revelation through studying and applying our minds. But what it comes down to is, am I yielded? Do I know that heaven is open over me because the spirit rests on me? And so when I share my testimony with people, they will actually have a heavenly encounter. They will not just get some words. When Jesus uh, told others about himself, you know, Jesus was the best evangelist to ever live. But Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed this, but rarely does Jesus just give somebody information about himself. Rarely does Jesus just impart information about himself. It's almost always the case that his proclamation of the kingdom of God and his identity as the savior of the world is almost always accompanied with some kind of supernatural revelation or manifestation. It usually is healing or the casting out of demons. Or uh, let's think of some examples. The woman at the well. Jesus went to the well in Samaria. It was out of the way of the journey that they were on, but he went to the well in Samaria because he was listening to the Father. He was walking in the Spirit, and he knew the Father was saying, you're going to go to this well because I have an encounter for you there. If you're driving down the road and for some reason you're like, I don't know what it is, but I'm supposed to stop at this gas station. Just do it. Because even... If you may, maybe weren't hearing from God, I bet that God will set you up anyway with an appointment just because of your obedience. It's true. So Jesus goes to the woman at the well. He's following the promptings of the Holy Spirit. 
and he's there, and when he encounters her, they have this back and forth. And he gives her this prophetic word of knowledge about her life. He says, go call your husband. She says, oh, uh, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right. The man that you're with right now is not your husband. And in fact, you've had five husbands. And he's not chiding her. He's probably showing her that he knows about all of the broken relationships in her life. He knows he has intimate knowledge of her and her life. But it's supernatural revelation. And then she's speaking to him and he says, I can give you water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And she was like, I know that Messiah is coming. And he says, I who speak to you am he. And she's like, whoa. She has an encounter. Why? Because heaven is open over him. He's obedient to the father. He's yielded to the spirit. And he is not afraid to say what the father gives him to say. The father revealed through the Holy Spirit that this woman had had five broken marriages. And so Jesus reveals that to her. The Lord might put something on your heart to share with someone that you would not know about them naturally. And you're never going to be able to operate in that gift that the Lord may very well want you to flow in if you don't take some risks. Okay, That was a little bit of a rabbit trail on spiritual gifts. But okay, so there's one example. But there's example over and over and over again. Right. Jesus is talking to the the centurion about his servant. Right. If you do not doubt, only believe. And then he raises up the servant. Right. So he's constantly imparting information about his identity and who he is and calling people to follow him. But at the same time, he is welcoming heaven onto earth by healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons and cleansing lepers and boldly proclaiming the gospel in the face of relentless opposition. Because he wanted people to have an encounter with the Father, not just know facts about him. He was the perfect representation of the Father. That's what the Bible says. He said to his disciples, don't you know that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father? So he went back to the Father, and guess who the Father's representatives are now? People should be able to look at us and see the Father reflected in us. His power, his goodness, his love, his mercy, all of those things. You with me? Okay. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So in the mock prayer that he prayed for them, one of the central petitions in that prayer is that heaven would be manifested on the earth. I don't know how anybody can have an anti-supernatural Christianity. You think heaven is supernatural, like nobody's sick there? People are supernaturally whole and well and full of joy and they're flourishing? How can you have a Christianity that doesn't account for the supernatural? Some of you might be having this revelation, hey, like I'm a Christian and I believe and I, I like in theory I believe in miracles, but I actually don't live a Christianity that is supernatural. And God wants to change your life today. And bring you deeper into the things of the Spirit. But all he wants is a yielded heart. He just wants a yielded heart. Hey, there's nothing that you do to earn that. But the same kingdom that Jesus went around and he said, the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God has come near. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, same thing. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And the same kingdom is still advancing throughout the world today. And you and I are called to advance it. 
That's why he taught us to pray, Lord, let your heavenly kingdom be manifest on the earth in and through my life, in and through my words, in and through my laying down my life to serve others and to reach them with the gospel. Now, I want to look real quick. Let's bounce. Look at Acts chapter 8. Somebody made predictions that looking at the readings that I would preach on again, <laughs> the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said you can't preach on it enough. And uh, it, it's right there, though, in the text. And I do want to make some comments about it. Acts chapter 8, uh, verses starting in verse 14. Let me give you um, just uh, a few comments on this passage. So what's happened is that um, Samaria, which is a Gentile place, non-Jewish, the, the Messiah has been preached there and they have received him as Savior and Lord. So they've received the word of the gospel in Samaria. And two of the apostles, uh, who is it, Peter and John? Peter and John find out about that. They're in J- Jerusalem and they find out that Samaria has received the word of the gospel through an evangelist. And they hightail it to get there. And the question is why? They already received the gospel. Why do they need to go there? Now, notice when they get there, they don't um, ask them, hey, did you say the printer? We came down here to make sure that you prayed the sinner's prayer. Did you pray the sinner's prayer? You did? Okay, good. We're going to head back up to Jerusalem now. They didn't come down there and say, hey, did you fill out a church membership form? Uh, Because the church in Samaria is new. It's really disorganized and we need you to fill out a membership form to get you on the database. They didn't say, hey, did your parents raise you as a Christian and bring you to church? When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They'd simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. How many of you want more of God's living presence in your life? The apostles, when they found out that somebody had received the gospel, they said, we got to get there and lay hands on these guys because they need, they don't just need to receive the message and the information about Jesus and water baptism. They need to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They need to be immersed in the presence of God. We need to lay our hands on them and call the Holy Spirit down on them so that heaven is ripped open over them so that they can go out and tell others. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, but wait until you receive power. They went miles to ensure that these men and women were full of the Holy Spirit. You know, for the biblical authors, if you read through the New Testament, something becomes very clear. The way that they um, measure the evidence of whether or not somebody is truly born again in Christ is the life-changing power and presence of the Holy Spirit in them. Paul says, he goes so far as to say, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. Because you can't have Jesus because, and, and, and not have his Spirit living in you. Because that's how you have Jesus. Jesus came that we would be baptized in his Spirit. Yes, he saves us from our sins because that has to be removed. Our sins are the barrier. And he removed that when he died on the cross. But we have to be baptized in his Spirit. 
and fold. And when you put your belief in him, and I believe that when the Samaritans put their belief in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to live in them and marked them as God's. But it says in the text that he had not come on any of them yet. That means he had not yet, they had not had seen him, his power and his presence released to the maximum level so that they could be bold witnesses for Jesus and lay their hands on the sick and see them recover and all that other stuff that Jesus says that his people should be doing. (laughs) But many of us are just not really believing that he do that through us. Now, um, this is this is really what this comes down to. And I apologize if I'm a little scattered today, but these are just the things that the Lord gave me to say. And this thing that I'm about to say to you right now, these next few minutes, I felt in, when I was praying in my office this morning, I felt the Lord, the Lord Jesus say, this is the most important part of your sermon, so make sure that you say this. And because the Father, his, his, only, his main message and his main sermon is Jesus. It's just Jesus. Nothing more. And nothing less. His sermon is Jesus. And so I entitled this next part of the message, which is moving towards the close. I entitled this section, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That felt how I was inspired to title this. Okay. What I'm talking to you about today is not about achieving a new level. Okay, people talk about, oh, you're going to you're going to you're going to level up in this new year and achieve a new a new level and God's uh, promoting you. Okay, okay, maybe what I'm talking about is something that is received by grace, but it happens walking in the fullness of the spirit and the awareness that heaven is open over you happens when you fall more in love with Jesus and you get closer to him. That's it. It's Jesus, Jesus, it's about falling more deeply in love with our bridegroom, Jesus. Consecrating ourselves to him in love, in the secret place, by giving him all of our hearts in worship on Sunday mornings, not just 78%, by giving him total control of our lives, not just 98.9%. Falling in love with him and expressing our love to him in obedience, unyielded Obedience is what he desires from us. And when you spend time with Jesus in the secret place and your life is yielded to him, guess what? You're going to smell like him. You hear what I'm saying? The heavenly presence shines all over you. And I know the difference of how people respond to me in public when I've been in the prayer closet for an hour and a half in the morning versus when I've been there for 10 minutes. I just know. And I see that they see something. And I know that I feel something. When I was um, a lad in college, which seems so long ago now, in Flint, Michigan, we had one of the greatest pipe shops in the United States. And I'm not talking about drugs. I'm talking about tobacco pipes, which you rarely see people smoke anymore. And I was I friend, some friends, and I got into pipe smoking. It was the very, I can smell the grandfatherly aromas right now. But if I was at the pipe shop after school in the afternoon before I went home, when I got home, my wife knew where I was. Why? Because I smelled like vanilla tobacco. Because the pipe shop smells like it. I can smell it right now. <laughs> Some of you had, had grandpas and dads who smoked. You smell it. But she, she knew there was no secret. I couldn't cover it up if I wanted to. And I, I wasn't. She knew. But I don't smoke a pipe anymore. But she knew where I was. Because I had spent time there. I was there. I was immersed in the clouds of 
tobacco smoke. And I'm telling you that when you get into Jesus's presence in the secret place, he wants to immerse you in the clouds of his glorious presence so that when you go out from that place, you smell like him, you look like him, you talk like him and you move in power like he did. That's what Jesus wants. Some of you are going to you, some of you are going to get prayed for today and you're going to move to you are going to experience. You're not I'm not going to say you're going to level up, but you're going to walk out of this place closer with Jesus. I truly believe that, that some of you are here today by divine appointment to be prayed for and to walk out of this place knowing Jesus like you haven't known him before. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus jealously longs for our love. The Bible says that the spirit that God placed in you, your inner man, when he breathed his spirit in you, the Bible says he jealously longs for it. He doesn't want it to belong to any other gods. He wants to mingle with you. He wants you to enjoy this sweet, mystical communion in his presence. He longs for it jealously. And we are so accustomed to making up every excuse on planet Earth to justify not spending that much time with him, not being completely yielded to him. And Jesus is calling you and me and us as to move into that deeper place. He is. It's a new year and it is time to start living in a new way with Jesus. You see, Think about this for a second. The eternal son of God who's in heaven right now and he's being glorified by angels and archangels and cherubim and seraphim and creatures that you have never even seen with your eyes. And it's not enough to satisfy him. What he wants is the sons and daughters of God who are walking the earth to adore him with affection and to worship him and to spend time in his presence because then he gets to love on you and you get to receive all of the blessing that his presence is when you give yourself to him. Isn't that amazing? Jesus longs for you. He's not content with the worship of angels. He wants yours and mine. And friends, he bears scars in his heavenly hands and his side that still declare his unbridled desire for you to live in his presence. He was pierced for our transgressions so that those transgressions could be wiped out and that we could step in to his heavenly presence and live there for the rest of our lives. I read these words from a a guy that I like to read named Eric Gilmore this morning, and he said this. Words really cut to my heart. He said, The great day of accountability alone will reveal all that could have been affected through a selfless management of our time to invest in prayer. The great day of accountability alone will reveal all that could have been affected through a selfless management of our time to invest in prayer. And what he's saying is that the world, our daily world and our daily lives that we walk through from whatever seven in the morning till 10 at night, that, that heaven and earth would move, that God would move heaven and earth for the prayers of his people. Things could be affected, but they're affected when we get into his presence and in his throne room And he welcomes us with open arms and we pour out our hearts to him and we ask him for his heart for the world and the lost in our community around us. The world desperately needs to see the light that is on you and shining over you. I'm teaching my kids Isaiah 60 verse 1 this week. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. And he says that people of every nation will be drawn to that light. 
the light of Jesus that shines on the church, on you and me, that people will be drawn to that. There is great darkness encompassing the land of the United States of America and all across the globe. In fact, there's probably not a place in the world right now that is like super amazing and uplifting to live in. And it's because we haven't yet experienced the fullness of God's kingdom, but we're called to go into the darkness and to make it known, to make the light known. And the greatest way to tell others about Jesus by word and deed is to consciously live your life under an open heaven. Amen. I want to pray. I think that we're just going to spend a few minutes praying for people today. I felt from the Lord that I know what I've noticed from the Lord is that um, I miss a lot of opportunities. And then other people will say to me after the service, man, I wish we would have had prayer at the altar today because I needed prayer. or Someone else needed to prayer. And I thought I was thinking that, too. And I miss it. And I said, why don't we just offer prayer every day? Why, why wouldn't we offer the time? And for the Holy Spirit to move, to, to heal sick bodies, to touch people who are discouraged, to, to bring people into the kingdom by believing in, in the name of Jesus. Why wouldn't we offer that every week? I think I might have shared with you all, or at least some of you, that I had a dream recently where the Lord showed me this like sign that said, don't, don't. It was like I was by a stage and he said, don't. And it said, don't block the view of signs and wonders. The Lord was telling me, don't get in the way so that the people only see you and what you have to say and not ever make room for me to work. Because when I work, there's signs and wonders and things happen. So I don't ever want to be, uh, I don't want to stand before him and have him say, you know, I was trying to do a lot more in your church, but you kept getting nervous about having altar calls or praying for the sick. And so you never did it and I couldn't move. <laughs> so I want to be a church that gives him space to move. Can we be?